Robertson welcoming you to tonight's edition of TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as they bring us This Week in TV History. And Tony's segment, as always, is brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble live shows every Wednesday night at the Art Parlor in Valley Village, as well as occasionally other nights of the week at the Art Parlor in Valley Village. For more information, go to storysalon.com or facebook.com forward slash storysalon. What do you have for us tonight? March 15th, 1935, Judd Hirsch is born. It, it's interesting. He, I mean, he's best known for playing Taxi. Yeah, Alex Rieger. Yeah. Taxi, but uh, for a good... You know, five or ten years, he made his mark as a dramatic actor in television. Yeah, he did. He uh, wasn't he part of the uh, Quinn Martin? Uh, he, I, well, I, I know he I, did I, a few. I think he did a couple FBI's, but he did a show. As a very, uh, I believe it started as a miniseries, seventy three, seventy four, NBC called The Law, mm-hmm. and um, I forget the name of the lawyer he played, but uh, it was. Critically acclaimed, well-received. I even think they did a weekly series at one point after that. And then he had a show on CBS called Del Vecchio. Yes. Remember that. I which, have that. Yeah, I have which, that on my list from 1976 to 1977. With a pre-Hill Street Blues Charles Hade yeah. as his uh, Beretta-like sidekick. Uh, I, think it was, I think the guy's name was Chomsky. Or but, but, but he was a, he was a master of disguise. That was Charlie Hage shtick on the and, show. Uh, there was uh, Danny DeVito did play a bad guy in one episode. That I don't remember. What I do remember is it got for some reason. I think Steve Bochco was the executive producer of of, of Del Vecchio, and I remember the early reviews uh, paid attention to some of the guttural dialogue. Meaning it was it was it was a little too street smart for network television in nineteen seventy six. The example that stays in my mind is my tookie is in a squisher. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> wow. And America was so delicate in nineteen seventy five. But we you, also- can, you can imagine Judd Hirsch saying that. Yes, I can easily. <laughs> so you said about Judd Hirsch that before taxi he was a dramatic actor. Yeah. Uh, I come from the acting school. There is acting. Sure. And my favorite quality about Judd Hirsch, he possesses this wonderful everyman quality, mm-hmm. which I think made, makes him, to me, to this day, so versatile. And um, I think concurrently with Taxi, he played the psychologist in Ordinary Yes, people. he did. did yes. He, he was the yes, psychologist he did. there. He had some wonderful moments mm-hmm. in that. Now, uh, something that... I, I don't have it on my list, at least I'm, I'm doing... Oh, no, it actually is here. He was in the pilot episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, one of my favorite oh. Aaron Sorkin shows post-West Wing. Mm-hmm. I believe the character had been referenced many times, but he his character he never appeared on the show again. But he opens the show, and it's amazing that you're going to have an opening, a teaser before the running of the credits for a pilot episode with a character that is never seen again on the show and one of the most brilliant 
taken basically from uh, the movie Network. It was a Howard Beale uh, speeches, and and it is such a brilliant speech. And then they cut to the opening credits, and you never see the likes of that again for the rest of the show. Remind me, what was the character? Was he uh, an anchorman or a network no, executive? No, he was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip was basically Saturday Night Live. Right. Now, it premiered the same time as 30 Rock, 30 Rock. same season. Mm-hmm. In the same week, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Sorkin uh, did this right on the heels of West Wing. And uh, the difference is uh, it was set on, on the Sunset Strip in this fictional TV studio. Uh, not far from the comedy store. They were broadcasting live to the East Coast. They were doing a sketch with uh, Nate Cordry, Rob Cordry's younger brother, mm-hmm. uh, doing uh, basically Bush and Shaney. The sketch wasn't funny, and he walks up on stage, excuses the actor, so he's basically Lorne Michaels, and he apologizes for the sketch and for the show, that it's not good, that they used to be edgy, and basically how the, the, the corporate people with the network has castrated them. But he goes on a very long speech, which I think we should listen to every fall when the new shows come <laughs> out, because it it really, you know, you're on network television, and he is pretty much putting network television to task on uh, the quality of the shows, and very, I would say, very blunt language, and I think we have done elements of this speech in various times we've talked about programming, but it was such a powerful speech that he had at the start of that show. And look at what's happened since that show. Less and less episodic programming. Yeah, we, 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 we <laughs> That's true. To, yeah, we yeah, true. To, yeah, and, it, you know, he, and he's criticizing, you know, who wants to marry my sister or people eating, you know, worms for money or, you know, and so he's... He's making a lot of the uh, statements that, well, you know. as long as we're on the subject of Aaron Sorkin, I have a love-hate <laughs> relationship with the work of Aaron Sorkin. I like that he, I like that his characters are smart. I like that um, he's not afraid to criticize uh, the media. He's not, he's not afraid to cr- uh, criticize politics. He definitely has a point of view that he conveys. What I dislike about Aaron Sorkin is that sometimes I feel like I'm in a civics class. Or True. It's a, it, he, he can be a little pedantic. What I like about Aaron Sorkin is he tells good stories. Simple as that. Yeah. I have a friend who we, we had this conversation in the past year, did not care or does not care for Aaron Sorkin because his shows make me feel stupid. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I personally wouldn't say he makes me feel stupid. It was like, okay, yes, I get it, you know, just, yep. I mean, I, I get it, move on, you know. You yeah, there's a difference stuff. between a civics class yeah. Yeah, yeah. and just not knowing what the characters are talking about. Yeah, but and, and obviously the show, you know, at the beginning of that season, I'm sure there were a lot of people, me included, thinking, uh, 30 Rock might not be around much, but this, this, this is good. You know, and, and, and obviously it was the, the was reverse. The no, in right. fact, remember people, everybody was thinking. Everyone I mean, was championing, um, Sunset Strip. Yeah. Which was a wonderful show. Yeah. And it was, I would say, very unfair because there were people, especially out here on the West Coast, who were really saying this is the best new show, this and people liking it. And when the ratings kept dropping and dropping, I think there was a lot of uh, negative uh, reaction to 
let's let's call them the people from Iowa because that's what I kept hearing. You said, well, because those people are like and and uh, I think uh, more so than let's say the West Wing before it or you know newsroom after it. You know there were blogs and other stuff that were just attacking this show. I didn't like newsroom either. <laughs> and newsroom had the benefit of hindsight. Or I should say the newsroom. The newsroom. There, there is a Canadian show called, called newsroom, newsroom, which yeah. is actually very Newsroom funny. was mm-hmm. done with the benefit of, of hindsight. Uh, and uh, this show, Studio 60 and uh, West Wing, were obviously in a parallel universe. Yeah. Sports Night, another... Sports Night thing. I liked. Yeah. And uh, Sports Night, they were... Um, you know, kind of on an alternate reality as yeah. well. But uh, there were people the uh, in the pilot episode when they bring on the new writers on the show. And uh, when you have Matthew Perry, who pretty much is doing a dramatic role for this show. Yes. Uh, and as th- I recall, he was good. He was, he was very good. Mm-hmm. And there was a controversy where he was fired from the show years earlier because he wrote a sketch called Crazy Christians. And it got cut, and and they were kind of you know uh, cut out of the show for that purpose. And uh, the character Sarah, that Sarah Paulson played, one of the actresses, based on Kristen Chenoweth, mm-hmm. who's one of the stars of the show, and she is a Christian, just released uh, a gospel album. She was the one saying, "No, you you need to put that sketch in the show." Now we never see the sketch either. Just you know, the following episode was backlash from right. that, and there were groups who were upset over the idea of a sketch called Crazy Christians. And I believe there were a few groups who actually believed that they saw the sketch Crazy Christians on the show. You never Which says something else, yes. It's it's like Charlie and Charlie's Angel. That goes back to your point about good writing. Because Mm -hmm. uh, he he craved the impression that they actually saw it, even though it never aired. Yes. I mean, that that is something. the, the, The man's a smart writer. I just mm-hmm. like him in small doses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, going back to Judd Hirsch, uh, it's you know it's funny that he has done all of these things that we were just bringing up, but he's still best known for one character. And you have to say, in the pilot of Taxi, he is in the opening of Taxi, and again, a show is introduced, and everything you need to know about this show is said in the first couple of minutes yeah. when... You know, he meets Elaine, and Elaine says, "Well, I'm just doing this for a little while. I'm really, you know, working in a dark gallery, and that's, you know, what I want to do." He said, "Oh, you know, and, you know, well, that guy, he's an actor. That guy, he, he's not, he's a, he's a prize fighter. This person's a beautiful. Me, I'm a cab driver. I'm the only cab driver here." Yeah, he, he was arguably, well, uh, uh, I'm going to stop short of saying the least interesting character on the show. That's not true. He was the least colorful show character on that show, uh, and probably the least remembered character on that show but he was the linchpin that whole he was the oh yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think he was very much like uh, barney miller in that respect yeah you, know, you have somebody about the same uh same age demographic yeah. and just kind of the the anchor the paternal figure you might say the smartest person yeah on the, the smartest show. person in the room the person that they go to for wisdom and the person who every once in a while gets that delta burke type speech yeah. in the third act to kind of put you know give everybody a reality check and uh, once in a while is allowed not to know the answer to that important question. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he uh, he has that role. You had so many larger-than-life characters on that show, especially when they introduced Christopher Lloyd as Reverend <laughs> Jim, you know, which was already on top of Lodka, played by, you know, the late Andy Kaufman. This is... 
I mean, and, and this this is not too far removed from Judd Hirsch because mm-hmm. Judd Hirsch went on to work with Bob Newhart and yeah, George, George and Leo. Leo. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. One of my favorite moments of Taxi is where Reverend Jim dates Marsha Wallace. Hey, I was just thinking about that. That was towards the end when the show was kind of winding down. Yeah. And, and wonders, why weren't you in more episodes? <laughs> <laughs> No, Judd, Judd Hirsch, again, we, we've discussed this before. It is not easy to play the straight man. Yeah. And then to play the straight man so, so well, deliciously underplayed. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, like, like I said, he was, he's, he was the least colorful character on that show, but without him, there is no show. Mm hmm. Yeah. There was an episode where a Hollywood film company wants to film in the garage and, and, you know, they, they were looking for the, the average Joe and they realized, oh, he's our average Joe. And they were looking for somebody to be the model of their main character, uh, for the movie. And, uh, yeah, it was a very good, uh, portrayal. He also gets some of those moments. I mean, because you get to see this average Joe having certain life experiences. You know, being scared to death, uh, in his cab and deciding to take some risks like skydiving or, you know, playing the piano and singing in public and things like that. And you get to watch those elements. There was one that was very heavy and very dramatic when, uh, his dog was near the end and he eventually had to, uh, make the decision to put the dog to sleep. It was incredibly, it was a, it's one episode I might skip if I see it in the run because yeah. you might not be in the mood for it. But both him and Danny DeVito had wonderful moments in that towards the end when, you know, you think Louie's saying, you know, it's time to put the dog down and, you know, it's Louie being a jerk. And it's like, no, Louie is acting in the best interest of the dog. This is the most humane thing. And he threw everybody out of the garage because Alex needed a moment. He yeah. kicked everybody out because, you know, he didn't, he didn't think it was okay for everyone to see Alex that upset. One of the few times you, you, you saw that Louis De Palma was actually a human. Yes. Yes. And and towards the end, uh, the same episode where we introduce, uh, you know, Jim's date, Marshall Wallace. That was I, I was thinking about this episode. That I think it was called the Schlugel, which is what uh, Latka and Simka do when in their country, when you are newly married, you fix up all of your friends. Oh. So all the husband's friends get fixed up with all the wife's friends. Now, how she's friends so with Marshall like, Wallace? It's not, it's not like the pond far in Star Trek. No, it's not <laughs> like you know, sex every seven years. <laughs> Uh, no, the, uh, the, their, their tradition was to fix the husband's friends up with the wife's friends. Uh huh. And so you had all, you know, you had, uh, the perfect match for Tony. You had, you had somebody for Elaine who was not the leading man type. Uh, you had, uh, the blind girl for Louie, which was funny on, on, on the surface. You know, why is my blind date blind? <laughs> but then. <laughs> Several of these uh, characters, I think with the exception of Jim's date and, and Alex's date, I, maybe she did come back, all of them had a returning episode because the relationships did progress to the next level. Louis' girlfriend gets an operation and regains her sight. He, he thinks the relationship's over once she sees what he really looks like. Tony uh, meets up with uh, his... Uh, he actually gets her pregnant. And uh, and Elaine's boyfriend uh, become they they really hit it off, even though it's not the attractive guy you normally see on her arm. So yeah, I think they were kind of playing all of that out towards the end. 
Uh, and so it, it ended too soon, uh, when it left ABC, went to NBC, and Judd Hirsch in his famous Emmy speech said, well, I appreciate that everybody loves the show. I hope you all remember it was cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, kind of, it's, 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 that reminds me of, of when Tony Randall won his Emmy for the last year of The Odd Couple. Thank you, thank you for the award. I wish I had a job now. It, it's, wow, yeah. That's pretty much what, it, and remember that was the year of the last episode of MASH, and everyone thought Alan Alda was going to get the Emmy that yeah. year. And I remember when he walks down the aisle, Alan Alda had a better seat at the venue, and so when he's walking down, he goes over and he shakes Alan Alda's hand uh, as a fellow, you know, one of the fellow nominees. Yeah. I think a nod, like, yeah, you should have gotten this, and uh, you know, ex- accepts it. I think Christopher Lloyd sounds like the Academy thought that Alan Alda was yeah. <laughs> for the Christopher Lloyd got it yeah. that year, and I think Carol King got it for yeah. supporting actress. Child of Television at blogspot dot com. Child of Television at blogspot dot com. Also, storysalon dot com. Donna's four part novel series is now complete. Yes, it is. The last book, Fall Again Reunion, was published a few months ago. You'll see where the story finally ends. And to find out how the story begins and end, go to fallagainseries.com. Tony and Donna, we'll see you both next time. Next, next time. time. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills... Don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 866-490-3991-866-490-3991-866-490-3991. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.